You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au. Time to call Harley out, who's going to be sharing with us today. Lord, we just thank you for Harley and just his heart for you, Lord. We just pray today as he shares your word, Father, that he'll just be sensitive to your spirit, Lord, and just anything that you're saying to him, God. Amen. Thanks very much, Sarah. Good morning, everybody. How are you all doing? Well, a little bit chilly, uh, but hopefully doing a bit better than Tish, who's kind of slowly dying from a cold, so keep her in your prayers. Um, so uh, I'm going to be preaching a few times over the year, um, and I thought rather than selecting a new passage every time, I'd kind of do a segregated series um, through Philippians. So today is my first sermon, and I'm going to start off the first chapter, first verse, and kind of work forward. And then the next time I preach, and whenever that is, um, I'll pick up from where I left off and we'll keep going. So um, before um, getting into the passage of Philippians, I'd like to maybe give a bit more context around uh, the church of Philippi. So the the book of Philippians is actually a letter. um, It's four chapters long, uh, and it was written to a church in Philippi. and I'd like to maybe uh, I'd like to cover how that church came to be, um, and just to give a bit more understanding and context to to what we're reading here. Um, so, um, the Church of Philippi was the first uh, European church plant that we're aware of. Um, in Acts chapter sixteen, which Michael will bring up, um, Paul and uh, here we go. Paul and Timothy um, uh, were on their way through um, the north uh, of, or well, the south of Asia, basically, um, going to a number of churches that they planted there, and they f- were attempted to actually go in and cross into Asia uh, a couple of times. And it says, um, I think in verse 5 or 6 uh, of Acts 16, that um, when they attempted to go in, the Holy Spirit actually prevented them. And then they tried again, and God prevented them from going again. And it was, uh, it's an interesting concept when you think about it, that God is preventing them from going somewhere to share the gospel, because you think, why would God stop that? But um, while Paul is sleeping, um, uh, in verse uh Nine, he gets this dream from a Macedonian man, which says, uh, he was pleading with him and said, come across to Macedonia and help us. Um, and so this was after attempting to get into Asia, and so he was like, well, all right then, that seems to be the new door that's opened. And so he steps through and he takes a boat across to Macedonia, which is what we now know as Europe. Um, and... One of the first towns he reaches is the town of Philippi, um, and they stayed there for a number of days. Um, now, Philippi is a Roman colony. Um, it uh, is a hub of trade, and it's known um, through uh, our 
understanding of history as a as a place of Roman patriotism. So uh, many Roman soldiers uh, and their families, when they retired, would actually go to Philippi uh, and retire there, get their uh, house and so forth. Um, and so it was a lot of uh, ex-officials and uh, Roman people with a big heart for Rome. Um, and so in that place, we actually see a lot of persecution of Jews and later Christians after the church is planted. Um, now, a bit further along in Acts, um, uh, Paul comes out of the city gates. He actually has to leave the, the city and he finds a group of uh, people praying, um, some Jews, and he um, shares the gospel with them. And a woman named Lydia comes to believe in Jesus and she um, is the first European uh, Christian that we're aware of. So that's an amazing kind of milestone of God just progressing the good news of Jesus into new parts of the world. Um, so Paul uh, is traveling around Philippi teaching and after a little while um, a slave girl um, who has a uh, it says it has, she has a demon um, in verse 17 is following Paul and Silas around um, and she cries out uh, these men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the slaves of the most high um, and so clearly the, the spirit within her um, that was possessing her could recognize that uh, these men were from God um, but you know, sure, that's fine one day, but after a number of days, uh, Paul was greatly aggravated. I don't think I would have lasted many days. But he turned to her uh, and turned to the Spirit and said, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out. And of course, um, this uh, girl wasn't just operating by herself. She was actually owned and had masters who used her to make a fortune, make money by getting her to tell people's fortunes. And so now that she doesn't have this spirit, she's worthless. So Paul has just lost him all this money. Um, and so uh, the owners of the slave bring up this um, mob, basically, to capture Paul and Silas, and they throw him in jail. Um, and during this time, they're beaten and they're not tried or anything, which... Um, is actually an interesting fact because Paul was a Roman citizen and so he had to have a trial. Um, they could beat and jail anyone who wasn't a Roman citizen, but if you're a Roman citizen, that entitled you to priv privileges such as actually having a trial. Um, we kind of take it for granted that everybody gets a trial these days, but you know that was a privileged thing for only Roman citizens. Um, Amazingly, after they were thrown in prison and they'd been beaten, um, they started praising God. They were singing uh, and rejoicing in prison. Um, and you may be familiar with this story because uh, at midnight uh, or late in the night, an earthquake happens and their chains are broken. And uh, the jailer gets woken up and he sees that there's this massive opening in the prison and he's distraught because if his the prisoners have escaped on his watch he's as good as dead so he's about to turn around and just do the old samurai fall on his sword um and then uh paul calls out and he says wait what are you doing um 
and where he says we're we're all still here. We haven't left. Um, and the the jailer says, um, guys, what must I do to be saved? This is in verse thirty. Um, and he actually becomes baptized and becomes a Christian. Um, he and his whole household, and he learns from Paul and Silas in that time. Um, and then the next day, uh, the officials come looking for them, um, and Paul lets them know that he's actually a Roman citizen, and they start freaking out, because they're like, oh, there's a lot of Roman people around here. If they find out that we've been beating up Roman people and throwing them to jail without cause, without a trial, we're going to have uh, not great things happen. Um, and so they're actually trying to get Paul and Silas and Timothy out of Philippi. Um, but uh, before Paul leaves, he actually stops past Lydia's house and, and ministers there for a few more days before leaving. Um, and that's and that's the start of the Church of Philippi. That is the the first church in Europe, um, and uh, that was the journey of Paul and Silas. And uh, in the midst of that, it was a pretty crazy story. But it's just so clear from the start where God pulls them across in this different direction via this dream. Um, and the way in which God operates so powerfully there that this is a, a new avenue, a new space for, for God's kingdom to, to be made known. Um, Paul later briefly goes back through Philippi um, in Acts chapter 20 uh, on his way back to Greece. And roughly 10 years later, um, Paul is sitting in a prison in Rome, and that's where he writes this letter to Philippi. We actually have to thank God that Paul was in prison a lot because it meant he stopped and actually took time to write letters to everybody, which is what we have here with us today. Um, And um, it's a, a very beautiful letter. It's a very heartfelt, joyful letter, and you pick that up as we read through. Um... And there's uh, and Paul talks about a number of different things, um, talks about uh, different areas, uh, and he doesn't bring any retribution or correction. He just brings a lot of encouragement uh, and pressing on for the for the Philippian church, um, contrary to some of his other letters. So um, I think it just shows the the place that um, the church of Philippi has in Paul's heart is such a, a lovely space. Cool, so let's get into the actual passage. So um, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 uh, and 2. Uh, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. Um, now, Paul was in prison, uh, and Timothy, as far as I'm aware, wasn't actually with him at this time. Um, yet I believe that Paul writes on behalf of Timothy, this letter, um, because Timothy was with him in that time and actually ministered a lot there. Um, that was just uh, something that uh, I felt kind of uh, should be explained uh, as Paul was in prison at that point. So, um, yeah, so Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, now, something that I kind of, you know, you see, uh, if you read through a lot of Paul's letters, you see a number of different introductions and greetings and that sort of thing, but I note that he says not only just to the saints who are in Philippi, but also the 
overseers and deacons, the the elders, um, who are those who govern the church and give its direction and minister, and the the deacons, those who serve the church in its various forms. Um, And it shows that this letter isn't just a message to one group or another, but it's to both. It's to those who um, lead the church. It's an encouragement to them, um, to those who serve in their various forms from sound and uh, worship and doing the coffee, doing administration and finance, all those sorts of people. Um, to those who are just turning up part of the congregation, um, those who have maybe um, been here for uh, around the church for a long time, maybe since the Philippian church had started, uh, or even those who were maybe new to the church. Um, and so for us too, we can take that and see that this is a letter that is um, something for everybody. It is an encouragement for all of us. Um, and my hope today and my prayer is that um, God's Spirit would actually highlight to you the things in this message that are from Him and for you. Uh, verse 2, grace, and peace, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, now Paul, if you actually flick through his letters, opens every letter with this line or maybe a slight variation of it. Um, and it's an explicit reminder in a written uh, letter. Um, it's hard to... You kind of have to write things down if you want them to be explicit. You can't really set over undertones so very easily in a letter. Um, but it's an explicit reminder um, of the temperament in which he's writing this letter. Um, and even when he uh, writes his other letters where he brings correction, he uses this line to highlight that he is doing this uh, out of a desire to bring grace and peace to these people that he's writing to, um, that they will be built up, that they will be fueled by God's grace and peace, um, and that from that they might be able to share that grace and peace to those around them. Um, we remember that the Philippians actually experienced much hardship um, in their church, because they were in this Roman colony, they experienced a lot of oppression and um, push and persecution from the Roman uh, people, uh, as well as the Jews. Um, and so Paul is praying God's grace and peace to them in the midst of all that pain and suffering um, and is hoping that that will then flow from them to those around us. Uh, verse 3. Um, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and establishment of the gospel. For God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you in the affection of Christ Jesus. Um, Now, you might have picked up that tone, but just to highlight it again, there's a very tangible affection in Paul's letter, his... um, Affection um, for the Philippian church just flows through. He talks about joy. And if you actually look at the letter of the Philippians, joy appears a lot throughout the whole letter. Um, 
and uh, <laughs> I find it funny the line the um, that uh, he I miss you deeply with the affection of Christ Jesus. Um, kind of sounds a little bit like his friends owning somebody there, but uh, um, but it's really this is kicking off a, a, an initial theme um, throughout that letter that flows through. Um, and remember that Paul is actually writing this letter from prison. Um, prison in Rome uh, back then was a bit different to prison today. Um, you kind of had to rely on people to support you in the midst of that. You didn't kind of have you know, your free meals and your exercise uh, place to, to run around. You, you had to um, basically have your friends look after you in the midst of that prison. Um, and so... Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians because they'd actually sent somebody to him, uh, a man named Epaphroditus. Um, And so um, it just shows how strong Paul's relationship is with that Philippian church that the joy of remembering them, uh, remembering them brings him so much joy in the midst of his imprisonment. Um, and it's also interesting when you compare his experience of being in Philippi, because he was beaten and thrown in jail, but he still remembers the people there um, so clearly. Um, Paul is is brought joy from their partnership in the gospel, he says, um, in verse uh, 5, 4, uh, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Um, he's encouraged by their partnership. Um, it shows that the seeds that he has, he has sown in their lives are actually bearing fruit, um, that it wasn't all for nothing, but he actually can see that. Um, and we can see that Paul's joy, which fuels him, is a reflection of God's joy for his people, that God has a great joy when he looks at his church and his children. Um, and it's good to remember that, that God has joy when he looks at us. Um, and so this, this joy within Paul, which is fueling him and giving him life and energy in the midst of imprisonment, Paul's actually returning that joy to the Philippians with this letter. Um, by Paul telling the Philippian church about the joy that they bring him, they're also going to be brought joy and encouragement. You kind of see how that works? He doesn't keep it to himself. He doesn't say, oh, I remember those guys, they were really great. He actually writes a letter um, and it creates a positive spiral. Um, we all kind of know what a negative spiral is when you know things go from bad to worse and you're like, oh, things are bad and things look bleak and you just kind of go down this spiral. Paul's actually working in the opposite direction and creating this positive spiral where he's talking about his joy that has been given to him from the Philippians and sharing that back to them so that they can be encouraged that they're actually, you know, getting on and doing what Paul has asked them to do and he implored them to do. It's a little bit corny, but I thought that it was a, a really um, real testament to, to, to the start of this letter. Um, and now, Paul says he holds the Philippians in his heart. Um, and so for us, like we want to think and reflect on the people we hold in our heart that bring us joy, um, Christians or non-Christians, friends or family. 
are we telling those people who bring joy into our lives that they're actually doing that? Um, are we encouraging those who encourage us? Um, it doesn't have to be a massive, you know, letter like Paul necessarily, but it could be some simple um, messages or a quick word or something like that. Hmm. And it's and it's a great uh, reminder as well that Paul's joy rem- drives him to pray. Uh, he says that I I pray with thanksgiving every time I think of you. Um, And it's a great model of prayer that he prays with thanks. Um, Do we remember to thank God for the people in our lives? Um, Do we thank him for the people who we're able to sow into or we have the opportunity to encourage? Um, Do we thank God for those who encourage and support us? And do we thank God for those who we interact with who haven't heard the gospel yet, that God's placed in our lives, in our path, that we can rub shoulders with? Um, we're, we're obviously doing our series through the spiritual gifts um, and to pray uh, and be reminded to pray as we're um, filled with the joy of those around us. That is so important. Uh, now, I just want to hone in a bit more on, on Philippi's partnership with Paul. Um, so since their initial belief uh, when Paul came through Philippi, um, they've been partnering with Paul in his mission to share the gospel. Um, they've provided aid to him in the past when he's been in prison. Um, and they uh, partner with him through prayer and practice. Um, they send, have sent him someone while he's in the midst of prison in Rome to actually bring a gift to him of money or resources or whatever it was um, to assist him in ministry while he's in the midst of a prison. Um, and that person, we'll find out later as we continue through Philippians, actually uh, got very sick and almost died, this guy called Epaphroditus. Um, but he didn't, which is great. Uh, and he was able to bring this letter back with him to the church of Philippi. But in verse 19 of uh, Philippians, we also see that um, they are praying for him, and Paul trusts in his deliverance from prison because of their prayers. Um, But as they partner with Paul in his imprisonment, there's also uh, no doubt a bit of sadness they would have from that. Um, just as, uh, you know, you hurt your finger and the rest of you just doesn't feel great. Like, it's amazing that one small part can actually hurt the rest of you. Um, but when one triumphs, the rest triumph with, with him. Uh, and so because uh, Paul is filled with joy, thinking back to the, his time in Philippi, they too are going to be filled with joy. So rather than being stuck down in uh, sadness about Paul being in prison, they're able to be filled with that joy um, uh, because he's included them in his story. Now, Paul says uh, that they've partnered with him in the gospel in his imprisonment, but also for the defense and establishment of the gospel. Um, And it's important that we see both defence and establishment. There's not one or the other. Paul had to do both. Um, the good news of Jesus was constantly under attack um, because it 
subverted the culture um, that was existed within the Roman and Jewish cultures, um, but it also had to spread to new places. It couldn't just stay static in Jerusalem, but it had to spread beyond that. Um, if we just defend our faith, if we just look at one side, if we just um, uh, play defensively, we, we're only going to be looking inwards. We're not going to bring new life into the church, um, and we're going to become calloused and cold to um, the call of Christ to actually share the good news beyond our walls, um, to share the good that he's done in our lives. But if we just advance our faith, if we just step out and we just go for it, um, we're going to be constantly moving on from one thing to another, to the next, to the next. Um, And we're going to forget about those who we've just told about Jesus. And they're not going to have time to mature and grow uh, and join in that partnership. We're going to be locked into a single way of thinking of just going from here to here to here. And we're not actually going to be adapting to the new challenges faced um, by the church in our shifting culture that actually seeks to uh, uh, put our church aside, put Christianity down and destroy it. We have to do both. We have to defend our culture, uh, defend our faith as our culture changes. In Paul's day, um, there was, he was dealing with very strong cultural opposition. Um, so from the Jews, um, they tried to destroy this new sect of uh, Judaism that they saw um, was actually being blasphemous because it was calling Jesus this man equal with God. And on the other side, Romans, uh, Romans um, heard the message of the good news of Jesus and were offended and outraged because it called Jesus as the only king. And they believed that Caesar was the true king. So he, Paul's getting attacked from these both sides that he has to defend. And yet today we have to deal with different opposition. Um, We have a culture that's been founded on Christian values and morals, but it's moving and it's in this time of shift where it's kind of gone from this apathy towards Jesus and now it's moving towards actually seeing uh, Christianity as restrictive and judgmental and even morally incorrect. And how are we going to adapt to this? What are we going to do to actually change and grow in the light of these challenges from our culture? Are we actively living out as examples of Christ, um, his grace and peace that Paul talks about at the start of that letter? Are we living in a way that challenges people's perspective of what church is, that we are actually full of love and joy? And that comes from Jesus. Um, But again, it can't just be defended today. We also need to advance. Um, By the very nature of advancing, it means to kind of step beyond where you are, to move into new places. And it's a stretch. It's actually uncomfortable to move beyond where you are. I'd much rather just sit on the couch. But we need to reach into new areas and places, into the hearts and minds of new people. Otherwise, we grow old and stale. And waste away. But it also must advance into new territories within our own lives. 
needs to reach deeper into our souls and our spirit and infect every part of what we do. And so we need to be mindful that we're advancing the gospel not only out there but within ourselves. And by doing it within ourselves, we're actually going to do it better out there, aren't we? We're called to partner with each other today. Um, That's a lot of things to be keeping in mind, defending and advancing the gospel um, and all the aspects of what that looks like. Um, But we all have different gifts and God miraculously uses them as one body together. Um, To one he might bless with a, a gift of evangelism Um, Another one, he might give a great job that has a really great paycheck. Um, To another one, a heart of humble service and a thirst uh, to somebody else, a thirst for knowledge and wisdom. And it's not that one is better than another, but it's that together resources can be pulled together and used for the furthering of God's kingdom. We need to recognize that our differences are actually an asset We shouldn't be divided among ourselves by our differences in our gifts and our passions. You know, somebody says, oh, we need to go feed the homeless, and another person says, oh, don't worry about that, we need to go and share the gospel, and somebody says, oh, don't worry about that, we need to have a great church service. But we actually need to be united in a common heart to defend and advance the gospel. And remember, this is a letter to all Christians. It's not just to the leaders, it's not just to those in the body, it's to all Christians that we all work together. And we need a partner practically. It's not enough to just say, oh yes, okay. We need to do this as a start by sharing our common joys and encouragement first. As Paul does here, he shares his joy and excitement for the Philippian church. By building up that body of Christ, we encourage each other to step forward into new ways. In fact, just in the the next section, we see that Paul's imprisonment in Rome has actually been an encouragement to other Christians to step forward. By one person stepping forward and being bold, others are able to step into that. We need to partner in practical ways of giving our time and resources coming to church and serving, get, having to sacrifice an early morning so you can actually get here and do chairs or do the coffee or do music. Pouring money into a church because the church needs money to run um, and allowing that money to be able to be used in different ministries. And the different skills in which God has blessed you so that you can actually be a blessing to others, that you use those as a way of bringing God's grace and peace to those around you. And also through prayer. Um, As I mentioned before, we're going through the spiritual discipline of prayer. Uh, Spiritual disciplines and prayer is one of those. And so we should be reminded and encouraged to pray with thanks for those in our lives and for the furthering of God's good kingdom. And so how does this partnership look? Like, how, do, how does that grow within us? Uh, we must be conformed to Christ's image, to his likeness, to become like uh, a mirror of Christ, a mirror image of him. Uh, not in that we um, 
in our own flavours as humans uh, within God's created world. So in verse 6 it says, uh, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And then further along in verse 9 it says, And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you can approve the things that are superior and can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Why is Paul so sure that God's going to complete this good work in them? Well, for a start, remember in verse 1, he actually addresses them as saints in Christ. They're in Christ, so what is true of Jesus is now true of us. Jesus is the first fruit and the example of what we are to become. But not only because of their initial conversion and their decision to follow Jesus, but also he knows and is sure of this because of their current partnership with him. They're already bearing fruit It's not that the fruit is out there and about to happen. They're actually currently bearing fruit. God is shown to be working in their lives by the example of them actually sending somebody to support Paul in prison. And yet, Paul knows that the journey of a Christian is one of constant growth. Um, From verse 6, there's a few things to pull out out of there. Um, Firstly, that God has started a good work in them and by extension, he started a good work in us. First, by bringing us into a relationship and by having his spirit dwell within us. But then, as well as that, we need to understand that we're actually a work in progress, that we're not perfect yet. Um, God's timing and plan is quite frustratingly different to ours. Um, And... Uh, if you're anything like me, you often want instant fixes, um, and yet the process of God working us is a gradual one that actually spans the whole course of our lives. He says that God will be working into you in, in completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And so we should take heart now in the fruit that we see, like Paul is of the fruit of the Philippians the fruit in our lives and the fruit in the lives of those around us. And finally, we can also be encouraged because we know that this work will be completed. It can't be finished while we're still here. Um, It's a slow burn and it's a marathon, but it will find completion and God will fully bring us into the the likeness of Christ. Um, We will not be left in a state of being incomplete. We're both in Christ and becoming more like him. Now remember, the Philippians are a bit new to the Christian faith. Um, It's important for them to know what is good and what is not so good. Uh, And that's why Paul encourages them and prays for them that their love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. And that is so that they can understand what is good. We must read and understand the Bible 
for it provides a clear measure of what is good and what is not good. Um, another quick plug, we're doing spiritual disciplines. Bible reading is one of those. Let's read that Bible and understand it and grapple with it. Because if we look at our culture first as a measure of what is good and not good, we will always be swayed with the new trend, which are coming increasingly uh, more common. And we'll always be thinking of new ways to justify our actions. Our culture is not constant, but the Word of God is. It is a bedrock. And by reading the Bible, we can grow in discernment. And discernment is such a key for Christians. Why is it so good? It means that we can actually invest into the things that will grow us more. If I can see what it is that I need to be doing that's going to make me more like Christ, I can again create another positive feedback loop of reaching out and pressing into Christ and that in turn makes me, helps me to learn to know God more and it helps me become more like Him, which makes me want to push back into God, which makes me learn more about Him and makes me become more like Him and it goes around and again and again. The more we become like Christ, the more we know and understand Him, and the faster we can become more like Christ. It's a lovely snowball effect. And as we continue to grow in discernment, we can then be wiser in how we partner with those around us for the defense and advancement of the gospel. Just as Paul sees and is encouraged by the Philippians bearing fruit, and then prays for them to bear more fruit, so we should also seek God so that we can bear more fruit. And what is the end? What, what is the purpose for all of this? It is to the glory of God. And it's good that He gets the glory because that is rightfully His and it's because of His good work in us that we're able to become more like Christ. I really feel that the drive of what Paul is getting at through this passage, this, this short introduction, is that all Christians are called to joyfully partner in the gospel as they conform to the image of Christ for the glory of God. We need to be fueled by our joy of Jesus and our joy with each other and partner in our differences towards a common goal where we can share, advance and defend the gospel, um, seeing the fruit of that and being encouraged that God is actually conforming us to his image. All for the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you um, for uh, your word. Uh, we thank you for your joy and your spirit. We thank you for your body, uh, the, the church. And we thank you that you are actively working in us, conforming us to your image, Lord. We, uh, we thank you that um, we can... Uh, create positive feedback loops that push us towards you, that push us further into joy. 
And we thank you that we're not alone in this. It's not all on us. It's not all on our shoulders. But it's actually a shared load with you at the head, Lord. And that you work through all of our differences. uh, And you use it for the glory of you. I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you, City Edge, can approve the things that are superior and can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Thanks, Holly. What a great word. A challenging word. Um, I ask you to just close your eyes again for a few minutes while I ask you a couple of questions. We've just heard of Paul's joy that the Philippian church was partnering with him in the gospel. So a question I'd ask each of us to ask of ourselves is how are we partnering in the gospel? How am I partnering in the gospel there's a few different ways we can do that the first and the one that everyone can do regardless of what your skills or abilities or time or anything else uh, situation is is to partner in prayer and I would hope that each and every one of you will partner in prayer um, both with the work that we're doing here at City Edge Church and in other worthy causes. There's a lot of worthy causes out there. A lot of um, organisations that are working to advance the gospel that need prayer. Prayer, they say, is the engine room of the church. But it's the engine room of the advance of the gospel in the world as well. God can do anything he wants to do and he can do it without us, but he chooses to do it through human beings and one of the means he uses which is really hard for us to get our heads around is prayer he calls us to pray for the advance of the gospel he calls us to pray for the ministries and the effectiveness of the preaching of the word he calls us to pray so firstly can I ask you to put your prayer resources into partnering in the gospel one of the ways you can do that is praying for us here at City Edge Church, praying for the work of the church as a whole, pray for, for myself as I lead the church and for others who are here volunteering their time, that their volunteering time would not be wasted, that it would have an impact on other visitors and members of City Edge Church to advance the gospel. Secondly, there is... The, the uh, partnership in the gospel by our time. In what way are you involved yourself personally in helping to see the gospel advanced? Is there something you could be doing that maybe you're not at the moment? There are things like English classes that I know people that do those and find them quite powerful for spreading the gospel because they frequently use the New Testament to teach English to people who don't understand very much English. And frequently Muslims are those taking those English classes 
and reading for the first time of Jesus Christ. So maybe it would be a matter of making a decision as well as prayer that I'll put my time into something that will advance the gospel in some way. And thirdly, and closer to home, is what are we doing to advance, the, to partner in the gospel with our finances? Because there are untold number of ministries that need finances to continue the work. One of them, obviously, is City Edge Church. But there are many, many, many more. Can I ask that you will be thinking about a, a ministry that I can support financially on a regular basis? There are ministries that advance the gospel by Bible translation and uh, sharing Bibles. There's Wycliffe Bible Translators, there's Gideons, there's plenty of others. There is, I think I saw a statistic somewhere the other day that there's something like 12,000 unreached people groups with the gospel. A staggering number in this day and age where we can go into Coorong and see 12,000 Bibles on the shelf in a shop here in Melbourne. And there's 12,000, I think the number was, people groups who don't yet have the word of God in their own language. So maybe there'll be ministries there that you can support financially on a regular basis to help get the word of God out to people. Maybe there are ministries to Jewish people. There's plenty of those based here in Melbourne. There's plenty that work directly into Jerusalem and Israel to take the gospel into that nation and take the gospel to the people who are spiritual ancestors. Abraham is our father. We have a debt to the Jews. Paul, at the end of Romans, I think it was, was preparing to take a gift to the church in Jerusalem, money that had been raised by various others. So maybe you'll feel called to pour some regular finances into one of the ministries to the Jews. There are ministries to uh, support young women that may be getting pregnant and pressured to have an abortion. And, uh, or people that have suffered sexual or physical violence. There's any number of ministries we can support financially on a regular basis. There are ministries that support children in Africa and Asia and islands in the Pacific and places like that. There are ministries that will dig wells in villages where they don't have clean water. There are ministries that will provide micro-loans for communities so they can set up small businesses and begin to make an, an income and not rely on charity support. There's untold number of ministries we can support financially. There is, as we saw the video this morning, there's Eric and Terry in Vanuatu building the church and the, the cyclone shelter over there. That takes money. They don't have all the funding. Maybe that's something you'd be willing to support. Because I encourage you to partner in the gospel, find a way to partner in the gospel in prayer, in time, and in finances. Where our treasure is, that's where our heart is, Jesus said. So I don't want to get heavy with you, but I do want you 
to take what Harley has shared with us this morning seriously. There is a joy that comes from partnering the gospel and there is a reward that will come from partnering in the gospel. You don't have to pat yourself on the back. You don't have to stand up the front and say, I'm giving $1,000 a month to this ministry. Do that and your reward is here from the pats you get on the back from the people in the church. Things that you do quietly and anonymously are rewarded in heaven in ways that we cannot comprehend. But they enable people to take the gospel where it needs to go. Because there are billions of people in this world that know nothing of Jesus Christ. So there is no, possibly no greater thing we can do with our time, our prayer and our money than to find ways to partner in the gospel to take that message to those billions that don't know him. So I'll leave it at that. But can I, pray, can I ask that you take it seriously, this call? And uh, thank you, Harley. Thank you for that great word and that great challenge to us. And uh, invite you all to stay and have a coffee this week. I'll be back next week, Easter next week, so I hope to see you all. I know some are going away for Easter. If you do, I pray that you travel safely and have a great weekend. Uh, those who are not going away, I invite you to come here next week. We'll be talking about uh, Jesus being risen. What a great topic that is. Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.